All right, let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 9, please. Luke chapter 9. And by the grace of God, today we'll finish this chapter. As you know, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, passage by passage. Luke chapter 9, and we'll begin reading today in verse number 57. I'd like to preach to you this morning about complete commitment. Complete commitment. And I believe these three scenarios that are laid out in this passage speak to various aspects of making a complete commitment. Verse 57, it says, It came to pass that, as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Verse 59, And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Verse 61, And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So if you would, on that note, please bow your heads. Let's pray together and ask for God's help. Father, we approach you now, knowing full well that we need your help. We, we need the Holy Spirit to touch our hearts. Lord, we've read the words, we can talk about them, but Father, unless you come down and shine a light on them, unless you move amongst us, then Lord, it's, uh, we're, we're, not, we're wasting our time. Father, please fill me with your spirit, give me the tongue of the learned, and help us all to have ears to hear. Please speak to us, we beg you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you've been with us, you know the entirety of this chapter has been linked to service. It has been linked to ministry opportunities, if you will. The beginning of the chapter, Jesus sends out 12 men as apostles. As the chapter proceeds, they've come back from their preaching tour, and then there's the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus is showing these apostles, you can do more than you think. If you just grab a basket, you can do more than you think. On the tail end of that, Jesus pulls his 12 aside and has a discussion, whom do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And then he gives them some deeper truth about himself, about the Messiah that no one had ever heard before, at least they hadn't understood it before, that the Messiah was in fact going to die. Deeper revelation, you need that. As you're serving the Lord, you need to continually grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus manifests not only his death, but also his future glory, he says, I'll come back in the glory of the Father, and the Mount of Transfiguration takes place, and he shows a handful of his disciples exactly what he will look like, what it will be like in that kingdom time. He also teaches them about carrying a cross. Let's call it what it is. That, that is an extreme sacrifice. Jesus made some extreme statements, did he not? When Jesus said, I, I know we hear it all the time, but let's appreciate it for what it is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man comes to the Father but by me. Do you understand how extreme that is? C.S. Lewis said it very well. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. Because you don't make statements like that unless you're one of those three. Now, because he rose from the dead, I'm satisfied that he's not a liar. He's no lunatic. He's the Lord of glory. To make such an extreme, exclusive statement, and then the demands that he places on us as disciples. I want you to pick up your cross every single day. I want you to deny yourself. Not my will, thine be done. Every single day. Jesus says, I want to be first. After teaching them about this extreme sacrifice required in a disciple, he then explains the extreme humility that is required to be a servant. Even the least among you. And then we studied last week this attitude that every disciple should have. How can I help? That's the attitude. I'm not here to hurt or hinder. I just want to help. It doesn't matter if you're the least It doesn't matter if you go to another church. It doesn't matter if you're the enemy of the gospel. How can I help? I'm here to serve. And that brings us to these three men today. These three separate cases, I believe, in each case, we we find people dealing with the issue of making a complete commitment to Christ. Let me give you a quick overview before we jump into it. I believe one man is overexcited. I believe another man is underexcited. And then I believe we see a balanced and biblical approach to making that commitment. So let's look at it beginning in verse number 57. The first first man that we're going to deal with, he comes to Christ. And we read in Matthew's gospel that this man was a scribe by profession. So he was a religious man. All of these people, somebody's getting a call from the Lord. Is that me? Not me, is it? right. If he's calling, you want to pick that. <laughs> Let's keep going in verse 57. A certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee. <laughs> I'm so sorry. They... <laughs> now we're all wondering, is it? All right, well, let's just keep going in any event. Verse 57. They went in the way. A certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. This guy... I... I would say he's not new to the Lord. I don't think any of these men, this, I don't think this is the first time they've heard about Jesus. They probably are already convinced that he is who he says he is. He's the Messiah. And this guy comes excited. I, I'm going to say overly excited because he comes in and says, Lord, whithersoever. So this first man, I'm going to say he's ready to go anywhere. Anywhere. Complete commitment. If you're going to say, Lord, Whithersoever, that's a a, a big word of saying anywhere. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Jesus reminds him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He immediately wants this man to to grasp this. Most pastors would be very excited to have a church member come and say, anywhere. (laughs) Okay, sign you up. (laughs) Jesus says, I want you to fully understand what you're getting into. If you're going to say whithersoever, that might end you up in a not-so-comfortable place. Just because you're following me doesn't mean it's going to be easy, doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're going to be comfortable. I find it interesting, you know, foxes 
and birds, those two things in the Bible are used to represent devils. Did you know that? Throughout the Bible. Foxes and birds. You know what? The devil will take good care of his crowd. And, and you would think, well, God will always take care of his children. He will. He will. Because if you are physically suffering, he will give you the sufficient grace to go through that physical suffering. But, but it, it is something that every disciple has to understand that just because I'm following the Lord completely and made this complete commitment, it doesn't mean that life's going to be easy. I hope today that your decision is to come fully and say, Lord, anywhere, where he leads me, I will follow. But just know that that might lead you to a place that you would rather not go. Peter, Jesus says, I'm, go I'm going somewhere, you can't follow me. Not now. Peter says, no, no, Lord, I'll follow you whithersoever. If I got to go to prison, if I, go to, if I have to go to the grave, I'll go there. Was Peter not willing? Was he not completely committed? You know, just a few minutes later, Jesus said, come with me, let's go pray in Gethsemane. You know what he did? Fell asleep. I'll go anywhere. You know, often when, when we say this, when we come to Christ and say, I'm ready to make a complete commitment, what we often mean by that is on my terms. I will follow you as completely as I see fit. I will go anywhere as long as it's within certain boundaries of my comfort level. God, I have a plan for my life. And as long as you fit inside of my plan, I'm on board. But don't take me outside the boundaries of my comfort zone. Peter is one of these adventurous guys. You know Peter from the Bible. He's just like this. He's ready for a challenge. I'll go to prison, I'll go to death, but are you ready to go to Gethsemane and pray for a few hours? Are you, are you ready to put your sword down instead of fighting the enemy, rather praying for him? Here's what some people would do. Some of you, I think. You got the zeal. You hear this and you go... Preacher, I'm ready. Send me to the deepest, darkest jungle. Send me to the cold tundras of Russia. Send me anywhere. I'm ready to go. Are you ready to stay? He said, whithersoever. What if he doesn't send you out? What if he says, okay, you'll go anywhere I tell you? Okay, go right there. And stay right there for the next 40 years. I just want you to be a really faithful church member and be a blessing in that church. Willing to do that? He said anywhere. Years ago after I got saved, I heard a sermon by our pastor about surrendering to the Lord. Me and four, three or four other guys, we went outside and we started to chat about the sermon afterwards. And one guy said, you know, I would do this and I'd be willing to do that. And me as a young believer, I've been saved maybe six, seven months. I piped up in all of my zeal and lack of wisdom. I said, oh, oh me too, me too. I'd go anywhere. Oh, anywhere except Africa. <laughs> Please don't think that just because you make such statements, God's going to send you to that place, okay? That, it happened for me. It may not happen for you. As many of you know, I wanted to go to India. That was my heart's desire, and God redirected me to Africa. I visited Malawi in the year 2000, a week after I graduated from Bible school. I got on a plane for the first time in my life, went to Malawi where I knew nobody, met with Malawian pastors who ended up stealing all of my money. I was so ill. The three weeks I was there, I had blown out my eardrum on the very first flight. 
I blew out my eardrum. I had to have surgery on it to repair it after I got back to the States. I was in bed for two months after I got back from that trip. I almost died. I called Christina. I had her. I could only afford one phone call. She had to send all of the money we had in the world just to get me back because they had stolen everything. I, I, when I got to the airport, I had just enough money to buy one cup of tea, <laughs> and that was it. When I got back to the States, I said, God, I, don't ever, I, I know, there's no doubt about it. I know the will of God now, and it is not Africa. <laughs> it can't be Africa. There's no way. That went so poorly. I don't ever want to see that place again. And the Lord starts dealing with me, because I had been praying... The entire time I was in Bible school, God, please make me a vessel. Meet for the master's use. Please listen to this. A vessel that the master can use needs to be willing to go anywhere. He doesn't come to the Lord with T's and C's apply. Say, Lord, uh, here's what I'm willing to do, but just read the fine print before you take me on. You come and you say, Lord, anywhere. Anywhere. One of the most difficult decisions I ever made was to leave Malawi. I was there for almost nine years. The ministry went very well. By the time I left, we had eight churches going. We now have 15 churches operating there. A Bible school is still growing. The ministry is doing well. But it was, it was difficult to live there. I came to preach in South Africa in 2009. Somebody had mentioned Pachastrum to me, and I had never heard of a Pachastrum. I didn't know what that was until we drove through it. And then this other preacher said, this is a Pachastrum. Maybe pray about coming here. I went, why would I do that? God's obviously called me to Malawi. I've been there. The ministry's going. Things are moving well. Nevertheless, I prayed. And immediately, I could feel God pointing me this direction. You know, and, and this is the first time I've said this publicly ever to anyone. You know why I didn't jump on board right away? Because of verse 58. Everything about coming here looked better to me. When I say me, that is my flesh. This would be an easier life. My kids would have friends. You don't know what it's like when your kids don't have friends. Maybe you do. Boy, that was tough. My wife almost died. She was electrocuted. She had her life threatened a couple of times in town. I had to have prayer meetings just when she went grocery shopping because I was worried. I, I knew coming down here, I, I would like that. My kids would like that. My wife would like We would... This was a better life, and I, and I did not want to confuse my comfort for the will of God. And I, I tried to be very careful to say, God, I, I want to do that, but I don't want to do it if you don't want me to do it. And I don't want to confuse my comfort with your calling. God, I want to be very careful. I want you to please confirm this calling over and over again. And I prayed for two and a half years. I believe I did my due diligence. I wanted to be careful. Dr. Ruckman, when I was in Bible school, he would tell us this every so often. By the time I graduated, he was 80 years old. I couldn't believe he still did it, but he said, you know, guys, for the longest time, I, I pray this every year. 
He said, I pray and ask God if he wants me to go to Alaska. Now, Dr. Ruckman lived in Florida. Florida, you know, it's like a jungle climate there. It's very hot, humid. Dr. Ruckman said, every year I pray and say, God, do you want me to go to Alaska? Whithersoever. (laughs) And he said, the reason I do that is because that is the last place on earth I want to go. Now, that might sound extreme to you, and you don't have to practice that, but what he was doing was just saying, Lord, if you want me to go, I'm willing. At the age of 80, he said, gentlemen, I still pray it. If God wants me to leave behind the Bible school that I've had for over 40 years, I'll do it. Because it's whithersoever. I still pray that. Not not Alaska. (laughs) Not Alaska. (laughs) But I'll pray it from time to time. The Lord from time to time will bring a place to my mind or to my attention and I'll pray. I don't mean, please don't take that as he's trying to get out of Potter's room. I'm not. I I just want to be willing. I want to understand whithersoever means anywhere. And that brings me to the second point, verse 59. Anywhere, yes, anywhere, but also anytime. Anywhere is the first situation, but I think verse 59 and 60 is anytime. A complete commitment. Anywhere, anytime. This this gentleman is slightly different. The first man comes to Jesus. This one, Jesus turns to him. He said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Verse 60 is one of those verses that scares me. This verse scares me. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. I believe this gentleman was underexcited. The first man overexcited, whithersoever, but he hadn't considered everything that goes with anywhere. This guy, Jesus turns to him and says, follow me. This man had obviously been following the Lord for a while, and I'll I'll tell you why I think that, because he's telling him, go and preach. You don't say that to a visitor. So when he says, follow me, this is not an invitation to get saved. This is an invitation to go further in the will of God. It is an invitation to make a complete commitment. But like people do, this gentleman comes with a proviso. Make no mistake, this is a challenging passage. Let's dig into it just for a little bit. Let me tell you some things that I believe I'm sure about. Number one, Jesus is not against funerals. Let's just make that clear. Because you read that and you go, okay, I'm not allowed to bury my family. Jesus is not against funerals. He went to the funeral of Lazarus. If you want to know how God feels about funerals, God himself buried Moses. It was a one-man funeral. A a one-God funeral. It was God and he buried Moses' body. No one's ever found it. God is not against funerals. Jesus is not against them. I know that just from the overall picture of the Bible, but let me tell you something else I I know about that. I believe this man had been following the Lord for some time because he's been told to go and preach. So he's he's not a newbie. He's not a novice. But let me say this as well. I'm convinced of this. The dad wasn't dead yet. And I'll tell you why I say that. He says, let, uh, in verse 59, suffer me first to go and bury my father. 
if the father was already dead, this man wouldn't have been there walking down the path with Jesus to have this conversation. He would have been at home prepping for the funeral. Just like it is in many cultures all over the world, funerals are a big deal. And in Jewish culture, that's no exception. It was one of those very sacred things that you must take care of. It was a social requirement to ignore the funeral of a family member. You'd have to have a very good reason for doing that. This man had one. I believe what he's saying is, Lord, my father perhaps is of age. He's getting up there in years. And I don't know when he's going to die, but, but let me, give me a, a leave of absence. Let me go and wait for my father to pass. I don't know, any day now, weeks, months, years, who knows. And then after I've buried my father, you're all, I'm all yours. But first, you see the timing? But first, let me go and bury my father. There's more T's and C's that come with this guy. I don't think this guy is trying to do something wicked. I don't think he's trying to get away with something lewd or overly sinful. He just has something that's more pressing, more important to him than fulfilling the will of God. Here's the problem with this. If he's going to put the call of God, whatever that is, whatever it is the Lord wants him to do, if he's willing to put that on hold until this big event in his life settles down, then every time a big event comes up in his life, he's going to put the ministry on hold and go take care of that, and the ministry will always come second. And if, if that word ministry somehow thinks, uh, makes you think that you're not part of that, you put your Christian life on hold to take care of your social obligations your familial obligations. Yes, this is an extreme situation for Jesus to say, Sir, your dad will have people to bury him, but you have a calling. And we don't have time for you to go home and wait for your dad to die. I think there's a good chance that this man is part of chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent about two by two. He's sending men out to preach. It's a very good chance this, is, this man was meant to be one of the 70. If he goes home, he misses this chance. How many times we say, Lord, I'm all yours, complete commitment, after I get through this stage of life. I met a young man yesterday, gave him a gospel tract, asked him if he was saved. He wasn't sure. He said, I used to go to church all the time. But since I started university, now I only go once or twice a month. Jesus gets put on hold until my university life is over. And, he, and here's how it often works, right? Donkey, carrot. If I could just finish this project, I mean, this is an important project. Going to university is not a bad thing, is it? Yeah. No, no, that's a good thing. That's a useful thing. If I can just finish this project, as soon as I finish that, man, I'm going to dive in and serve God so wholeheartedly. And as soon as you finish that, you know what's going to happen? Donkey, carrot. It'll, then there'll be another project. Okay, well, let me, let me get married. After I get married, then me and my spouse, we're going to dive in. And then after you get married, 
Okay, the kids are coming. Let me, let me get the kids. After they grow up a little bit, okay. And then, okay, let me get the kids through school. Before you know it, you're retired. And Jesus is always at arm's length. The next thing I'll do is serve him. So something else is coming before him. Jesus, let me finish this first and then I'm all yours. How many of you remember the days of corded phones? Remember when phones used to have cords? Some of you younger people are like, why would you put a cord on a phone? That makes no sense. I grew up with corded phones. When we finally got a, a cordless phone, man, we thought we were upper class. Look at this. I don't have to stand next to the receiver anymore. I can walk over here. <laughs> For the longest time, we only had one phone in the house. And it was, it was right next to my dad's favorite recliner in the living room. So every time, me as a young teenager, I was 13, 14 this time, if I got a phone call, because, you know, when you start getting phone calls, you've arrived. That's, you are, you, you count now. You're something. Somebody wants to talk to me. You know, my dad answered the phone. I talk to Mike. <laughs> Thought I was something. It is difficult to have a teenage conversation with your dad right there. Right? Especially an unsaved teenager. No, that was not comfortable. I begged my dad for months, please, please put a phone in my room, please, please. And eventually he caved. He put a phone in my room, had it right next to the bed. I'd lay there on the bed with that corded phone, just all the yap, 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 just nonsense, just nonsense. Now, I don't remember this ever happening. I, as I was thinking about this sermon, the thought hit me, what if this would have happened? I don't remember it ever happening. Could you imagine... If I'm on the phone in my bedroom and my dad comes to the door of my room and knocks at the door and says, son, and I say, sorry, dad, I'm on the phone. Come back later. I'm on a call. Just saying that out loud gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> I expect at any moment my dad to come around the corner with his belt going, son, come here. Because <laughs> you can't say that to your dad. When, when your dad comes knocking and says, son, I don't care who you're talking to. You put the phone down. You, you say, I'm sorry, I've got something more important to do. You, whoever you are, come second. And you put them on hold or you put the phone down, you shut the phone call off and you tend to your dad. Does that make sense? If God comes calling today... Please, please do not have the audacity to say, Lord, I'm busy right now with life. I'm on my own call right now. Come back in a little while when I'm done with my call, when it's more convenient for me, and then I'll be glad to assist you. That's not how complete commitment works. Anywhere, Lord. Doesn't matter the comfort level. Doesn't matter if it was part of my plan. I want your plan, not mine. Anytime, Lord. And I believe the reason Jesus uses this extreme case of you, you as, a, as a preacher in this case, you can skip the funeral. He uses this extreme case to show us that nothing trumps the will of God. 
nothing. Because if Jesus is willing to say, skip a funeral, how important must it be that you have complete commitment and fulfill the will of God? There are so many other smaller things that would be less important than a funeral. And Jesus said, if you have to make the choice between the funeral and fulfilling the will of God, you skip the funeral. Anywhere, anytime. Verse 61, last category, I believe covers two things. Anyone and anything. Complete commitment. Anywhere, anytime, anyone, and anything. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at, my, at home, at my house. And a lot of people believe that because of the answer of Jesus, that Jesus was rebuking this man. I don't think so. I, I don't think it was a rebuke. Look at the first word of verse 62. He doesn't say, but Jesus said unto him. If the word but is there, then it kind of sounds like Jesus is turning the story to say, no, no, no that's not right, but do this. He's, it says, and Jesus said unto him. I believe Jesus is simply adding some confirmation to what this man suggested. This is different. He says, let me first go bid them farewell. He is not saying my family is more important than the ministry. What he's saying is, I am going to make a, a clean break. I'm going to tell my family, I love them, but I love the Lord more. I'm not going to burn that bridge. I'm just going to close the bridge. This way I can focus completely on what you've called me to do, whatever that might be. I'll give up anyone or anything. Lord, just let me say goodbye to the old life. It's not even a bad life he's saying goodbye to. It's good things. It's good, it's good family. But let me say goodbye. You see, it's different than the case before it because this other man says, let me go wait for my father to die. Family will always come before ministry in his case. Not this guy. He's saying, I'm going to put, put them second so that you are always first. And, and let me tell you why I, I believe Scripture confirms that approach to this. You can hold your place here if you'd like because we, we will come back. Come to... 1 Kings chapter 19. And let me show you where I believe this third character got the idea to do what he's doing. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 19. I'm sure most of you remember the story where Elijah got depressed. Right? Preachers get depressed. We get tired. We get down. Elijah got down. He got deep down. God showed up and tried to speak to him. Preacher, what's wrong? I'm the only one left. I'm the only one serving you. God said, that's not right. That's not true. And he, God tried to get his attention, but the prophet just wouldn't let go of his bitterness. I'm the only one. And God said, you don't know. I got 7,000 men that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not alone. He says, but okay, Elijah, if that's how you're going to be, then we need to move on. Let's find you a successor. Let's find you some help so you can finish off your, your time as a prophet, but then you need to begin 
preparing your replacement. And this is when Elijah meets Elisha. Verse 19, so he departed thence, that is Elijah. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. That is one monster tractor. (laughs) Do you realize how big that tractor is? 24 oxen pulling a plow? Son, that's a plow. (laughs) This man has his hands on the plow of this world. Not a sinful plow. Why does he need 24 oxen? Because the ground of Israel had been dry for three and a half years. They had had one rain just recently, but that's not enough to soften the ground. Three and a half years, you need 24 oxen to break up that hard ground. Elisha is working that plow, 24 oxen. I mean, that's a John Deere and a half. Hey, it's a Raktabursian. And he with the 12th, so he's, he's there, the, the particular two oxen he's holding on to, the reins there, he's with the last of them. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Now, I don't have a mantle, I'm sorry. I have a suit coat. That's as good as I can do for today. So Elijah, he passes by, and here's Elisha working in the field, just doing his job. He has no idea. It's not like they sent out letters and, and interviewed people. They didn't go online and say, you know, vacancy for a prophet, <laughs> such and such a, you know, apply here at the Bible school, nothing like that. He, he just came by and Elijah throws that mantle on him. And Elisha, can you imagine what Elisha's thinking? Elisha's thinking, what, what, what does this mean what I think it means? Because I'm just a farmer. I, are, are you... Am I supposed to, am I in now? You know what? God God doesn't wait for you to finish plowing your field. Elijah could have waited at the house. And when Elisha's done in the field, just just hand him the mantle there. He didn't do that. He went out in the field, interrupted his job. The call of God, the will of God will often feel like it's interrupting your plans because it is. And you're supposed to interrupt the plans and say, not my will, but thine be done. That's the complete commitment. Is it extreme? Yes. Is he worth it? Yes. So he throws the mantle over Elisha's shoulder. Verse 20, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. He said, all right, now that I see the will of God, Anywhere, anytime, immediately. He took off running. He ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. Do you see how that sounds like our third man? Let me just go say goodbye to mom and dad. Why? Listen, God's not against you caring about your parents. (laughs) You still need to show some respect and honor. They're going to worry about you if you don't come home. You don't just run off to Bible school. You tell them where you're going. Let me go home and kiss my father and mother and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, go back again for what have I done to thee? He said, go ahead. 
Because do you realize what I've just done by putting the mantle over your shoulders? You are now going to step into my place as God's mouthpiece for this nation. I don't care what that mantle means that he throws over your shoulder. But every single one of you here, there is a mantle that the Holy Spirit wants to throw over your shoulder. It may mean that you're going to be a preacher. It may mean that you're just going to be a faithful housewife. It may mean sit in that chair, be a good faithful church member for the rest. Whatever that mantle involves. But as soon as it hits your shoulders, it's all right. Let me, let me take a minute, square my life away, and then Lord, I'm all yours. This is the high, the high calling of God. You say, what is the high calling of God? To be a missionary, to be a pastor? No, whatever God tells you to do, that's the high calling. Now I'm going to get busy doing that. He says, verse 21, And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. So it's, it's a bicky braai place and a bicky poiki. Right? There's a poiki. He boiled it, right? There's the poiki. And, and there's plenty of flesh there for the braai as well. So now he, t- he took the, the instruments of the oxen. He, he's, he's burning that part. Th- that, that's the bridge that gets burnt. I'm not going back to that. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. I've decided. Elisha, you know what he did for the next 10 years? Look at the end of the verse. It says he went after Elijah and ministered unto him. You know what he did for the next 10 years? Every time the prophet needed to wash his hands, Elisha would bring water. That's the only thing we're told. For 10 years, he just helped Elijah. In 2 Kings 3, he said he poured water on his hands. That was it. Until one day when Elijah was ready to be taken to heaven, Elisha tells that older man of God, I am not leaving your side. I got in this for the long haul. When I made that commitment, Elijah... I said that I, I would go after you, that I would learn. Elijah kept telling him, stay here, I've got to go further. He said, no, no, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you, I'm not leaving you. And finally, when the chariots of Israel took Elijah away, Elisha had said, all I want is a double portion of whatever you had, I want that on me. And Elijah said, well, if you see me go, you, you know you have that double portion. He saw him go, and that mantle that was given to him. He said, if the Lord God of Elijah be with me, wham, and he slapped the waters with that mantle, and the waters opened up, and he knew the Lord God is with me. You know why? You know why he was with him? Because for 10 years, he stayed faithful to that commitment that he made. Anything, anyone, anytime, Anywhere, even if God just wants me to pour a little water on the prophet's hands. God, if that's all you want me to do, happy to do it. 
Come back to Luke 9. I want to show you one thing before we finish. In Luke 9, verse 62, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I believe Jesus is commending this man's decision to cut ties at home, to leave father and mother and cleave unto the Lord. Why? Because if you still got obligations back there and you put your hands on the plow, you know what's going to happen? You're plowing, you need to be looking forward, right? What happens if you turn around while you're, right, while you're driving the plow? We don't drive plows like that anymore. Think of this as driving your car. How bad would it be? You're supposed to have eyes forward. What if you're looking in the back seat? You know what's going to happen in front of you? Disaster. You are not fit to work for God's kingdom. You're not going to do a good job if you're holding the plow, constantly looking back. Lord, hang on. I got something else I got to go take care of. You can't just leave the plow every five minutes. I put my hands to the plow. Complete commitment. I'm all yours, Lord. Wherever, whenever, whoever, whatever, you're worth it. And I'll plow the whole way till the kingdom comes. You know what's unique? What I found interesting, let's say, about this passage? Man number one. What did he do? After Jesus said, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. That's what you're getting into. Just want you to know. You're getting into what could be uncomfortable. What did he do? Don't know. When this man said, let me go bury my father. He said, let the dead bury their dead. What did he do? I don't know. This last man said, let me go bid him farewell. Jesus said, all right, once you grab on, don't let go. Don't look back. What did he do? I don't know. You've heard a sermon today about complete commitment. Now, what are you going to do? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But I hope you do something with it. I believe the Lord worked it out so that we don't have the outcomes here. Because perhaps you came today and you're overexcited. Perhaps you came and you're underexcited. Perhaps you came today saying, Lord, whatever I hear today from you, I want to do it right. I don't care how you came. I'm concerned about how you leave. I want you to consider that complete commitment that Jesus deserves and demands of his disciples. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed for a few minutes. Take just a few minutes. Think about what you've heard. Perhaps you need to take a moment. You can bow the knee where you're at. prophet Isaiah, when God called him, God asked a question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah said, here am I, send me. He didn't know where he was going or what he was going to do. He gave the Lord a blank piece of paper and signed the bottom of it and said, now you fill it in.
So that's what's on the table today. Go ahead and sign your name at the bottom of that blank page and say, Lord, you fill it in. You can write anywhere, anytime, anyone, and anything. I want to follow you. This is that moment when the Holy Spirit, you can feel Him putting that mantle on you. But perhaps there's something pulling the other direction, saying, yeah, but you got this and this and this and this you got to take care of. Don't let the thorns of this world choke the Word. Complete commitment. You can commit today and maybe 10 years down the line. You'll see God start using you in a big way. That's what Elisha did. 10 years. The Apostle Paul had to wait 14 years before God put him on the field as a missionary. 14 years. Waiting. Father, thank you this morning. Uh, Lord, I've been challenged studying for this, preaching this, Lord. I, I feel my heart pricked. Lord, I, as best I know how, I just want to thank you for throwing a mantle over my shoulders. But Lord, you can, you can throw whatever mantle you want on there. Lord, I'm, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to stay. Lord, while I'm here, help me to be the pastor I need to be for these people. Help me to say whatever it is you want me to say. To leave behind whoever I need to leave behind. Lord, you're worth being here. Help those that might be struggling to make that complete commitment, Lord. Help them. Help them, Lord. Help them to rise to that challenge. Lord, we know you're worth it. And we can't thank you enough for all you've done and continue to do for us. Please dismiss us with your blessing and bring us back again tonight, ready to learn more from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for being here. Please enjoy some sunshine. Enjoy your afternoon tonight, 6 o'clock, Book of Acts.